At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. Miguel O'Hara swings and races through a high-rise building tall above the skyline. Dr. Octopus is only a few scant yards away, and you're Spider-Man. Why can't you catch up to her, he asks himself. Zipping around corners at blistering speed, the multi-limbed doctor slams shut the massive metal door to the laboratory behind her. Not one to give up easily, Spider-Man grabs a hold and starts to tear the door open, searing the metal. Once the door is opened, however, only an open portal is there to greet him. The good doctor has activated some experimental machinery, and through the multiverse, Miguel will go. Landing in what feels almost like a medieval setting, Spider-Man hears a battle nearby. Focusing his vision, he sees the long-haired elf Drist Dorden finishing off some elemental monsters before turning his guys Spider-Man's way. The dro moves fast, and Spider-Man doesn't even have time for a quip before this battle is underway. It's Nuevo York versus the Forgotten Realms. It's Alchemax versus Gygax. It's Spider-Man 2099 versus Drist Durden. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters in the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stiganus. Ray, yet again, we are doing the unthinkable, the impossible 
the unpossible, if you will. Today, we're crossing two worlds that were never meant to interact, and yet somehow, some way, these two universes mix and match exceedingly well. In one corner, we have Driss Dward and the powerful character from Dungeons & Dragons that provide us with a window into a dark and mysterious part of the Forgotten Realms, as you so indicated, versus Spider-Man 2099, the futuristic version of Spider-Man that was created pre-internet and yet somehow connected us with what may likely be a possible future. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test just to see how many times this match has been discussed. And yet again, this match appeared zero times in search results, meaning by the power of Google, the Who Would Win team is bringing you the Legion of Audience, another world premiere geek culture battle never before discussed in the history of the multiverse, as in never before and quite possibly never again. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's matchup? I will tell you this right now. If it doesn't appear on the Google, it just isn't. That's just the sad truth of the year we live in. Now, I'm going to say right now, the thing that everybody's going to be wondering, how did we get here? Dritzt <laughs> has been suggested probably since the first episode of Who Would Win fighting Voltron or Godzilla or whoever, because that makes no sense. Dritzt, sure. it became a meme that Drist was going to be suggested every single week. And I said, never. I'm going to put yeah. my foot down and say yeah. this character will never <laughs> appear on the Who Would Win show. And yet, somehow, here we are today. Look, Ray, you know this as well as we do. To the Legion of Audience, the Who Would Win production team, we've got a really complicated, sophisticated process when we kind of come up with our matchups. And, you know, we go through these characters and we try to say who should match up with this one and vice versa. And, of course, whenever we start the meeting of, okay, it's time to come up with our next matchup, the running, not joke, but the run, I guess it's a joke now, we always say, oh, Drist, how about Drist? And we're like, well, this week we thought, you know, again, Galactus should be coming in. Drist, that would be a perfect matchup for someone who needs planets. Correct. Whoever the character was, it was that running... But this week, someone said Spider-Man 2099. We all jumped on it. And then someone said, well, how about Drist? And it somehow stayed the yeah, inconceivable. How? Actually, I have no idea. I have no idea how this happened. But, you know, I, I think the fans, the Legion of Audience wants to know, you know, of course, we have them suggest matchups on a weekly basis. We put a character versus question mark all over social media and people answer. But, you know, I've been getting a hit with a lot of requests saying, what's the official way to put in a request directly to the Who Would Win production team? Let's jump through social media, jump over that, bypass all of that. How do we get a request directly to the team? Ray, what are your thoughts on that? How to get a request directly for the team? I guess just tweet at us. And if you do it a bunch of times, I'll know not to use that character because you're <laughs> annoying me. Now, I haven't seen Drist in quite a while, and so maybe my heart softened like the Grinch upon seeing Whoville singing. I don't exactly know how we got here. I feel like it's been a whirlwind, a blur. But I will say the best way to get our attention for characters and matchups five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. I'll tell you right Absolutely. now, if you give anything less than a five-star review, even four stars, you Nimbus, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> nobody's going to use your suggestions. In fact, I look at those suggestions and remove them from contention because if you can't be bothered to give us five stars, I can't be bothered to listen to you. That's true. I was about to say, uh, you know, leave us a great five star review on Apple or wherever you can leave us a great review. Make sure you subscribe to us and, you know, tell your friends, network us like, you know, we are very important people to you because we are. Also, to speak on Ray's behalf, I get hit with a lot of DMs. Feel free to DM Ray directly. You don't he have loves to. that. You don't have he to. loves interacting with fans. I really the team don't. has said, hey, Ray, you've got a special je ne sais quoi. 
interact, connect with the fan base. Let them know that you love them and you're there for them. So really uh, show your appreciation for Ray Stacanus. You're welcome, Ray. No, that's a note that I have gotten before, and I disagree. <laughs> we agree to disagree. I think it's just fun listening to you. Like we say, can you believe what so-and-so said? I just love it. Now, listen, that would be a great thing. And speaking of great things, it's time to introduce our guest judge making their very first appearance on the who would win show. It's a writer for Nerdist, a vampire from the port saga podcast, audio drama, and someone whom you can catch playing dungeons and dragons on live streams. It's Riley Silverman. Riley, welcome to who would win. Hello. Thanks for having me. You know, Riley, Ray and I, were super excited to have you on the show. You are a very established podcaster, streamer, uh, geek culture personality, to put it mildly. But you recently played a vampire, Nosferatu, if you will, in the uh, Port Saga podcast. It was fantastic. We love your character. Tell us about that character. Tell us about that audio drama. So that is an audio drama that was created by a writer-producer named Rachel Wilkinson, and she basically wanted to write uh, a cool serialized audio drama, and she... Luckily, uh, Vampire the Masquerade has a very good like open source um, license deal for the community to create content. So she created this this murder mystery set within that world, so within those vampire rules and such. So the character I'm playing is a Nosferatu. She's the primogen of the city of Fort Saga, which is a a fictional like mid Atlantic uh, city. And yeah, so that's that's kind of the character. She's she's a bit of like an information broker. She's a little bit of an under like she's you know because Nosferatu typically are for those who don't know the Vampire the Masquerade setting. Each of the clans of vampires have a unique curse that's given to them as a result of their bloodline. And then Nosferatu, their curse is that they are deformed by the blood. So they're they're kind of based on the idea of Nosferatu in that particular. Dracula adaptation and that more hideous vampire. They're like, so they're known for disguising themselves and hiding themselves from culture and, and from society and, and being like, like obfuscated a lot and things like that. So that's the kind of character she is. So I, I brought in a lot of, I kind of based her a little bit on Miss Scarlet from Clue in that information broker kind of way. Got it. Got that's it. kind of a lot of vibe brought into it. So I have a lot of fun with her. The, the season's still going on, so I'm in two episodes so far, but I will be back again before the end of the first season. So check that out. And similar to to this show, uh, check that show out. If you like it, please rate it well on iTunes and, and subscribe to it and you know support the Patreon for it so we can get a season two out of it. I love it. And let me just say right now, there are no bigger fans, there probably are, than Mass Vampire the Masquerade as I am. I go back decades with the source material. I've been playing the RPGs for since the, the, the gosh darn 1990s kids before some of you were even considered. And what I would say to that is I love the property. So I'm so excited when I see the audio drama Port Saga. I was all up on before I even knew you were attached to the project, which was kind of really exciting to see these two worlds collide. Nice. Uh, but what I will say is the thing I like about Port Saga, and if you're a fan of the vampire stuff, you got to check this out because this isn't being done. Uh, vampire the Masquerade Port Saga is the name of the show. I wasn't planning on turning this into a giant advertisement for it, but it's Please worth do. it. It deserves <laughs> it because one of the things that I've seen in other vampire role-playing uh, podcasts and such is that I don't see here, other shows get the lore wrong. They get dramatic things wrong with the stories, with the world, with the way vampires work, and Port Saga doesn't port saga is faithful to the source material and port saga feels like a real vampire the masquerade world so i can only suggest it heavily heavily based on that alone 
And it also does a great job of explaining that world to people who are not as indoctrinated uh-huh. with it. Like, you don't have to know the game nope. to understand the show. Nope. Listen, I, I, to, to that point, thank you, Riley, for bringing that up. Listen, I've produced audio dramas before, and I got to tell you, one of the things that always bugged me is that when we were writing this, I said, someone who's listening to it will not understand everything that's happening because there's no visual to go along with it. When I was listening to the Port Saga episode, you know, there was an explanation in the, in the dialogue which made it so cool that, oh, I get what's going on, and it's entertaining to hear what's going on. So the writing is absolutely phenomenal. Never mind the voice acting. Altogether, it's a really, really great show. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed by it. I, I luckily did not read any of the scripts that I wasn't in scenes for when oh, I good. was recording my episodes, so that when I listen to the show, I can listen to it as a fan. And so I don't know what's going to happen in the mystery, and it's really fun to see it play out. But one of the things I really love that Rachel did was, so there's the clan that are the Malkavians who have a madness as part of their of their curse. And I'm sure Ray knows as well as I do as someone who goes back to playing vampires since the 90s as well. A lot of people play that madness in a very problematic way, let's say. That is but correct. What, Ra- what Rachel did with it was really interesting is that this character hears music wherever he goes. And like music is how he interprets emotions of rooms and vibes of rooms and stuff like that. And then that becomes the didactic sound that's in scene. So when you hear music in a scene, that's supposed to be what's in Titus's mind as the scene's going on. So it flows really well. It's really, really cool. You're right, because let's face it, we're a little more sympathetic to mental illness now than we were in the mid-90s. And so some of the Looney Bin characters you would see back in the day probably wouldn't fly today. So always curious how the Malkavian, uh, you know, insane clan is, is presented, and it's presented awesomely here on the show. Yeah, I'm liking this a whole lot. I got to tell you, we've got a fantastic judge. We've got two great characters. Ray is on his A game. I'm bringing it. It is time to get this party started. So with all of that being said, Ray, do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Marvel Comics, the scientist who proves that even at the cusp of the 22nd century, no IP is safe. Spider-Man 2099. And representing Dungeons and Dragons, the ranger who proves the axiom, bros before dros, dritz to Erden. How did I know? How did I know you were? Okay. Before we go any further, let's go over the official rules about who would win Not match. proud of myself there, just for That's, the record. It's, you, you, you were, okay. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the who would win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Okay, right. What version of Driss will you be using today? Yeah, I'm going to be using the novels version by R.A. Salvatore. Uh, these are, he's made, uh, I'll tell you in a little bit, but he's made a lot of, he's in a lot of stuff and that's the version I'm going to be using. There are video games as well. I'm really just going to stick to the canon novels, Dritz Durden. Got it. Okay. With Spider-Man 29, I was actually heavily leaning towards the video game version. Some really crazy strength beats there, but overall with the story that came from, you know, Marvel 616 universe, there's a lot to pull from. So I'll be using surprise, surprise. The mainstream comic book version of Spider-Man 2099. Oh, wow. I know. It's crazy. Crazy. Rule number four, debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity, Race to Canis. Beats from non-canon crossovers, Race to Canis, are allowed, will be given less weight, Race to Canis. Ray, I'm just saying, you may want to focus on rule number four. How rule number dare five. you? I'm just saying what the people have been saying. Rule number five. The winner of the debate is whomever the judge decides has the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal. And finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules. 
or established logic, feel free to check out the official rules on our website, whowouldwinshow.com. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Who Win store. Get your official Who Would Win t-shirts, mugs, and merchandise by going to whowouldwinshow.com and clicking on the merch section. Experience full plates and fuller wallets with Every Plate, America's best value meal kit. The holidays are upon us. Give yourself and your wallet a break. Every Plate is 50% cheaper than a meal made from grocery store ingredients, and each recipe couldn't be easier to follow. With Every Plate, you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week and swap proteins, veggies, and sides to your liking. And all that for the same price as one cup of coffee. It's assuredly cheaper than that pumpkin spice latte. Last week, my family challenged me to make something great for dinner. So, I ordered the amazing hibachi-style steak rice bowls from every plate for my family. Super easy and super quick to prepare, by the way. Now, my entire family thinks I'm an amazing cook. And thanks to every plate, you know what? They're not wrong. Each meal gives you simple step-by-step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients to make it fast and easy. Hey, I've said it before. If you can build a bookshelf, you can make a great meal with every plate. And the choices are varied. I've personally made crispy Caesar chicken, pork and poblano tacos, and bibimbap. And all of the above turned out absolutely fantastic. Get started with every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code WWW179. That's just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code WWW179. Try this offer and you'll see firsthand why every plate is America's best value meal kit. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Look, as guys, so much of our personal identity is wrapped up in our hair. From how it feels after getting a great haircut to the way we style it before going out. And that's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. And in the olden days of yore, you had to go to a doctor to get a prescription. But now, with Keeps... 
You can do all that online and get the hair loss medication delivered right to your front door every three months. No more waiting at the doctor's office. No more waiting at the pharmacy. So find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and why more than 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments start at, wow, just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. Look, there's only two FDA-approved products out there to combat hair loss. Heck, you might have even tried them before, but you've never tried them with this convenience and at this price. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash win to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash win. And now let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details on Drist Dorden. Dritzdorden is a dark elf ranger who forsaked his people to pursue a more noble life. He was created by R.A. Salvatore and first appeared in the novel A Crystal Shard back in 1988. Drist was born the third son of noble house Dorden and slated to be sacrificed to pay for the crimes of his house. But his older brother was killed by the second oldest, bumping Dritzd out of the sacrifice line and saving his life. Drist hated and rejected Dro's society, and when demanded to kill an elf child, he helped the kid escape and left the Underdark for the topside world. Adjustment was difficult, however, but through the initial mercy of others, he survived and became a hero of the land. Drist is one of, if not the, most popular character in the D&D universe, all 34 novels featuring Drist by Salvatore have made the New York Times bestseller list, and he most recently appeared in the video game Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance. Fun fact, Drist is a compelling and deep character that has led the Forgotten Realm setting for decades, so one would think that massive amounts of prep time and consideration would have been involved in his creation, but that would be wrong. For R.A. Salvatore was told that one of his sidekick characters didn't get approval and he had to give another on the spot to replace them. He suggested a dark elf ranger named Dritzda Erden who escaped the Dro and now is a good guy and he helps out all the other heroes. And somehow that worked. Dritzd quickly went from sidekick to main focus and the rest is history. And that is Drist. Very interesting. A lot of history there. That is very cool. All right, here are the details for Spider-Man 2099. Now, Spider-Man 2099, a.k.a. Miguel O'Hara, first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 365 back in August of 1992 and was created by Peter David and Rick Leonardi. In the year 2099, Miguel O'Hara was a young genetics genius employed at the mega corporation Alchemax in the future city of Nueva York. One of his experiments to replicate the powers of the present-day Spider-Man was turned against him, where he was given no choice but to rewrite his own DNA to make it 50% Spider. Since then, Miguel has taken on the mantle of Spider-Man both in the future and present, and has not only protected the future New York City, but has also protected the world and the timeline. And here's an interesting fact about Spider-Man 2099. Did you know that Spider-Man 2099 suit inspired the Spider-Man Unlimited animated series costume? It's true. 
Following the cancellation of the long-running Spider-Man the Animated Series from the 90s, it was decided to launch a new series with an updated look at Spider-Man, especially since Batman Beyond was enjoying immense popularity at the time. This meant a brand new costume made with fancy nanotechnology, a new setting which meant a futuristic city on counter-Earth, and a complete disregard of anything else that pretty much made Spider-Man great. While there were initially rumors that Spider-Man Unlimited was originally going to be a Spider-Man 2099 animated series, those rumors turned out to be false. However, it's clear just looking at the red and blues of the suit, the style of the Spider logo, and the tattered web cape that Spider-Man 2099 clearly influenced the costume of Spider-Man Unlimited. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Riley, do you have any questions before we get started? I think at this point, I don't, because I feel like mostly that was like more of a history of out-of-character stuff with these folks, so... I don't think that that's really going to influence my thoughts going into the setting. So now are you saying, I, I do want to ask this question just out of curiosity, because Marvel's been a little bit back and forth about if 2099 is in fact the future of 616. There's, originally it was not, then it became that it was, but now they're back to saying it's not again. Where are you landing in that particular debate? Well, the last time I checked, it was like 2013, where Spider-Man 2099 kind of came back into the Marvel 616 universe. And of course, that's pre-Secret Wars and the conversions of the multiverse. So since then, I know there's been references to Spider-Man 2099 and especially references to the, you know, the, the destiny of Spider-Man 2099 that I'll, I'll kind of get into later on in those points. So sure. he's, 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 he's officially part of the Marvel 616 canon. But it's an, it could be viewed as an alternate, uncertain timeline mm -hmm. that does have a high likelihood to occur. That not really one that will affect the outcome of the battle, I feel like. I was just curious, your thoughts on the character. Very cool. I, I, I'm, I'm liking where you're going with this already. Now, Ray, right, where Ray. does Driz oh. fall into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It turns out he doesn't. <laughs> okay, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, will, he, will he appear in the Sony films? Now, here's the deal. Who can tell? It's true. All right, Ray, let's get this party started. Go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Drist. Let's just talk about his general combat skills. Because one thing that I noticed when researching both of these characters is that Drist is a master combatant, fighter on the battlefield, and Spider-Man 2099 is a scientist who happened to get powers. Now, that is a big difference between these two characters. Now, Drist was taught hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat by his father, who was a weapons master named Zachnafine, and he also is a dro, which means that he is a dark elf who lived underground for a long, long time. Those dark elf dro are known for being a very kind of violent society. There's a lot of underhandedness, a lot of infighting between the different houses and clans, if you will, to kick it back to vampire for a sec. And so they're basically brought up in a battle-type world. There's not a lot of safety in the Underdark. Heck, there's not a lot of safety topside either. But this is just how he grew up. Heck, he was supposed to be, as I said before, sacrificed. But the treachery of his brothers bumped his spot in line. So one of the things that the Drow are known for is a strong will. They have a very indomitable will, which allows them to add to their already impressive durability in combat. They take a lot of damage, and when they do, they can shrug it off and keep fighting through their strong will to get the job done. Another thing he's known for is an immunity to poisons and paralyzers. And I'm going to say that right now because one of the big attacks that Spider-Man 2099 has involves poisons and paralyzers. So I'm going to punch that right in the nose right now. Drist is immune to all manner of those because of his drow 
Dro nature. Now, he's not just great at fighting with the swords. He trained others to, in sword combat to fight at a very high level as well. He wields dual magic scimitars in battle who were so strong, they ripped uh, mithril armor in half. Their names are Twinkle and Icing Death because he's a dark elf at the end of the day and a poet, apparently. Twinkle and Icing Death. Here's the deal. I love it. Many have described his movements as being very, very fast. Wow. But it's almost as if they're too fast to follow with the eye, which means that's an F, uh, what do they call it? FTE speed in combat. Very important. He's very acrobatic. In fact, it's said that when he's fighting on the battlefield, it's as if he's dancing and his moves are so off the wall. He'll jump in the air, jump off of walls, fly at people. He'll land like face down and then jump up and do a backflip and sword you as he's coming up. That's the type of fighter that he is. It's very magical in its own way. He's also really, really good at fighting with arrows as well. He fires off a hail of arrows. At one point, he fired off a whole bunch of arrows that was so fast, it just looked like one long arrow shooting through the sky. So if you're able to whip out and shoot faster than Hawkeye, that's going to help you against a character like Spider-Man. He also uh, takes minimal damage from fire, in case that ever comes up right here. And he has enhanced senses, much like Spider-Man does. In fact, one time he was shot at with a crossbow, didn't know it was coming, but he heard the click of the crossbow from a distance and was able to put it together on the spot and jump out of the way, much like a spider sense of sorts. Uh, he's also one of the big things is uh, he senses presence of other people through his warrior training. What does that mean? It means that he knows where you are when he's fighting you just through innate training alone. He's also excellent at blind fighting, which is going to come into play later. So if all the lights go out, his enhanced senses are not going to be stunted at all. And the last thing to talk about right here, uh, Driss Armor. It's an enchanted suit of mithril chainmail uh, made by somebody named Buster Bracer, which is just one of my favorite D&D names of all time. I'm surprised back in the 90s I didn't have a D&D character named Buster Bracer. I did have a gnome illusionist named Bane Dip, and I'm <laughs> still proud of that to this record. So Driss, Driss is bringing all the whole thing to the table. He can fight at a distance. He can fight up close. Enhanced senses like Spider-Man, and he can take a lot of damage. He's going to be tough to bring down in this battle, and that's my point number one. Okay, interesting points about this. And, you know, I, don't, I didn't know a lot about the character until this battle was announced, but I do have some questions. So I find this really interesting, the upbringing of a dark elf. It's a lot of combat and trial by combat and what have you. What are some of the, the typical threats a dark elf has to fight? in their upbringing or what are they designed to take on i mean they're designed to take on basically anything that comes i mean first and foremost other dark elves who Got are it. always going to be at your backs with a knife ready to stab and take your place it's a very dog eat dog society but in the underdark there's also a whole lot of monsters as well and denizens of the underground so you have to be wary of threats both external and internal if you grow up in that society Got it. So not a lot of like magical blasts or energy blasts or like ranged attack like that. It's going to be more of like a close up, maybe what someone can do or a weapon that someone can use kind of like more well, of a conventional type of battle or conventional threat. All dark elves are, are gifted with magic. So there will be magic involved no matter what's happening under there. Fantastic. All right. Now the chainmail, what's the strongest attack that the chainmail can tank? Sure. Well, it's a it's a it's a mithril chainmail, and it's augmented by a spider silk shirt under his armor that actually uses magic to protect. And and the the description that I was given was it protects him from all but the most lethal attacks. 
So you Got can it. take that to mean what it will. Most glancing blows, most aggressive blows will be protected against. But if you have something super, super ridiculous, that will get through. And against explosives, how would that do? Uh, it remains to be seen. Fire doesn't bother him, so it's a question of whether explosives would as well. Got it. So that's a question mark. Got it. Okay. All right. Great stuff. Love it. I'm really liking this character a whole lot. Let's get into Spider-Man 29. And when you talk about Spider-Man 29, of course, people say, well, there's got to be some powers that are similar and things. And there are, but there's a whole lot of differences too. So my point number one, let's talk about Spider-Man 29's basic power. So let's see. You've got a lot in common with Spider-Man. He, like the original Spider-Man, Spider-Man 299 has super strength where he can lift around 10 to 15 tons and jump up to 30 feet at a time. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Driss Durden at best is going to be peak elf which I don't know exactly how strong that is. I'm assuming like maybe a ton they can lift, which is... I would make the argument that Spider-Man does have more base strength than Drist, but Drist is no pushover in that department. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, in terms of speed, this is where I think Spider-Man really comes out ahead. They've clocked Spider-Man 2099 running at 200 miles per hour, which I thought was kind of ridiculous until they said, no, they can move at, you can move at two miles over 2.5 seconds. So if you do the math, it makes sense. He may be able to run as fast as 250 miles per hour. He can create what is called, and I think, Ray, we've talked about, an accelerated decoy, which means he moves so fast that he can leave behind what looks like an intangible after image uh, as a body double that people attack that after image even though he's already gone. He's that fast. He's got super reflexes, super stamina, where he can exert himself at peak physicality for several hours, super durability, where he can fall from many stories, high buildings, hit the ground, and he's okay. He can tank being repeatedly struck by like superhumanly strong opponents like the Thing from the Fantastic Four. He can take a number of shots from there and still be okay. This person is superhumanly durable. He's also got a healing factor where he can heal up to at least three to four times faster than a human being. Now, just to put this in perspective, it's not like a Wolverine or Deadpool healing factor but it's going to take a lot to really hurt him and he can come back fairly quickly on top of all of this he's also got some of the powers that are kind of a little bit different he's got accelerated vision where he can see objects at much greater distances with perfect clarity uh let's see at this time you know the same clarity he can use at night as well with the same level of vision he can see in near complete darkness he can see in infrared which means he can see a person's body heat and this is kind of like captain america who says he can see faster the speed at which some objects appear as a blur and i think that in science it's called the flicker fusion horizon is superior to other people that means what appears as a blur to most people spider-man 29 can see perfectly and it also acts as a kind of a, a pre-warning because he can see what's happening and de- decipher it pretty quickly he's got those talents and fangs now ray you're right i don't think this toxin that he can put through his fangs is going to do anything to drist however the fangs will and the fangs can rip apart flesh tear through things and are definitely an offensive weapon uh, on top of that, he's got short, retractable talons or claws at the tip of his fingers and on his toes as well. And that's what he uses to dig into people, dig into buildings. And that's what he uses to climb up things in a similar way to Spider-Man. And unlike Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099 has organic webbing. Remember that first Spider-Man movie that Sony put out and all the webbing came through his wrist? Same thing, except it comes on the top of his wrist. And Spider-Man 29 doesn't seemingly run out of this. And anything Spider-Man can do with his webbing, Spider-Man 29 can also do with his create funnels, parachutes, uh, web up to several people at a time, and it's all got the strength of tensile steel, so it's super hard to break. On top of that, Spider-Man 29 has something a little bit more evolved than than Spider-Man's Spider-Sense. It's now a full form of telepathy, where he can actually read someone's thoughts and emotional reactions, so he can tell when someone's about to do something. On top of that, with his sight and everything else he can do, he can actually pinpoint where the threat is coming from. Now, this is really cool, because according to Spider-Man's Spider-Sense, regular Spider-Man, the Spider-Sense tells him, hey, 
It's a warning. Something bad's about to happen. And the closer it is, the stronger the spider sense goes off, like an alarm. However, Spider-Man 29's spider sense or version of it actually enables him to pinpoint what's happening and where it's coming from to a precise nature. So it's more accurate than the spider sense. So when you have what you have here is a Spider-Man with all the same powers as the original with a few extras that make him even more powerful. So put all that together, and that's my point number one interesting points that you're bringing up here now he's so fast and he's so strong how did the thing ever land a punch on him i would think the thing not being super fast i mean he's obviously a a hulking oaf when compared to spider-man but you said that the thing was able to tag him with a punch i guess i question how that happened well here's the thing the thing what a lot of people don't know is that the thing is one of the top superhuman fighters in all of marvel comics Oh, super well trained. Yeah, super well trained. I remember the thing won the first battle of the champions uh, against that universal wow. threat back in the late seventies, uh, early eighties, so- and is known to be able to beat the Hulk because he's a great fighter. He knows how to hit in weird ways, and also you got to remember, Spider Man twenty nine survived it, no problem. So what I hear you saying is if somebody is trained well enough in fighting and has a certain level of strength and speed, they can absolutely get hits off on Spider-Man 2099. Spider-Man 29 has been hit, as I'm sure Drist has been as well. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, no, I just want to make sure in a one-on-one battle I'm getting this right. Uh, So far, so good. So far, so good. All right, Riley, you've heard points number one from both Ray and myself. Where's your head at with this fight so far? Right now, I have to say that I'm surprised how much more evenly matched they feel like having gone through this because I definitely think that my gut was telling me that Drizzt would be the far superior competitor here because of the level of power we're talking about. We're talking about a character from a very like magical, overbearing world. And like Ray said, it comes from a culture that's very like, it's like almost like if the Klingons and the Romulans were one culture, it's very much that vibe to it. Um, But you have made some really good points about the sensory abilities of Spider-Man 2099. And I do feel like perhaps there's a little bit of a negating of each other's. I think that the extended abilities both of them have to sense danger and be able to detect it will actually give them they almost cancel each other out where you have these two characters who are both able to kind of anticipate each other's moves i'm thinking along the lines of when you watch black widow fight uh taskmaster you're seeing someone who is is able to adapt to their opponent in real time i think both of them are going to have that ability now i am concerned i am curious about a lot of ray's choices in pronunciation for a lot of these characters but i will <laughs> skip past that for now because i know that these are all written down and they're not always an official guide to them but i do i do have a question for ray given that the 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 drow as i know them uh worship loth the spider goddess uh how do you think that will affect uh the mindset uh, of a good old Driz going up against uh, a spider totem like spider-man 2099 boy that is an excellent question question. that i flat out was not exactly prepared for now Driz's patron goddess is uh, the goddess of the forest and of the rangers. And since you made fun of my pronunciations earlier, I will not attempt to say this. No, no, you have to now. (laughs) Miliki. I'll say it, Miliki. And that's uh, the goddess of forest and rangers. So he's he's, uh, forsaken the the spider gods of the Underdark. So I would definitely see how he could see Spider-Man 2099 as a bigger enemy as a result of that direct inference. Okay. One last question. So I want to go back to this speed topic. You talked about Spider-Man being able to move about 200 miles per hour. 
now, Ray, you mentioned uh, Driz's speed as being FTE. Does that mean faster than energy or? Faster than the eye can see at times. Okay. So, unfortunately, we are coming from a realm that doesn't necessarily have miles as it's, this does not follow the empirical system. So, we don't know for sure. How many hex spaces do you think that would be? <laughs> oh, man. I wouldn't even hazard a guess because if I got it wrong, I, my email couldn't handle Fair. the bombardment. Fair enough. I'm already going to ask them as well for making you pronounce things. We can move on to point two now. Thank you for answering that question. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Ray, go ahead and hit us with your point number two, please. Point number two for Drist. Now, we're going to be talking about magic here because one of the things that Drist has, he's an excellent fighter. On the surface, it's already a very, very good matchup for him, very evenly matched. But what makes the character a little bit more OP is the fact, as I alluded to before, the drow, the dark elves, drow. Pronounce it how you want to. Here's the deal. I heard both pronunciations, and all of the people who seemed to be the, the, the smarty pants all said Dro, and I've been saying Drow for decades, but I'm happy to change my mind. I've been calling this character Drizzit for decades as well, so what do I know at this point? Here's the deal. He's got a lot of magic. Now, he has a special pair of boots that he wears, which either allow him to be very, very, very quiet to the point he could walk on dry leaves making no noise, or he can have it so that he's making loud, loud noises to, he could be walking on, you know, j uh, like, like 10 mattresses and it would sound like deafening footsteps if he wants to announce his presence. Now, if he is trying to maybe overload the senses of Spider-Man, he could make it so his steps are very, very loud, perhaps messing with his mind. Now, Driss hat is a bag of holding, which means that any objects that he's ever encountered, he has in his hat at any given time. So he's going to be a lot more, maneuverable in a situation that might call for objects. He's also able to shoot magical daggers. Now, the cool thing about this is only one in five of these daggers is actually real. The others are all illusions. But the way illusionary magic works in D&D for the people at home is that if you believe in an illusion, it can still hurt you. It becomes real upon manifest. So if Spider-Man doesn't live in a world of magic per se, he might see all these daggers as real and get affected by them. He wears a pair of special anklets, which enhance his speed. So he's already super fast, but he gains foot speed. It's called the Bracers of the Blinding Strike. And when people have watched him as he runs full speed away, he just seems to disappear at a certain point, even if you're just following him with your eyes. So maybe that answers part of the question earlier. He used to wear them on his feet, but he moved them up to his ankles because he was moving a little bit too fast and it was affecting him negatively in combat. Now he moves appropriately fast. He also wears a belt that gives him the strength of an ogre. And again, I don't know exactly how you uh, uh, calculate what the strength of an ogre is, but I know that's a big brooding monster. So he's not just walking around with elf strength. He's walking around with ogre strength. One of his other magic powers is he can create globes of darkness. Uh, all dro have the ability and are taught at a young age to create lights, to create fairy fire, and to create darkness. Now, one of the cool things about the darkness is he can put it in a certain place, he can turn it over an entire area, or he can put it on a person, wrap that person in darkness completely, and then have that darkness follow them around wherever they go, making fighting them 
a heck of a lot easier because he can see and they can't. But as I also mentioned before, he's excellent at blind fighting. I learned a little bit about Spider-Man 2099's vision through the use of the optical lenses. So there might be a question whether the darkness spells would work on him, but if the magic spell clouds the mind, uh, as opposed to just creating physical darkness, I suppose it could be argued that that could uh, permeate through the optical abilities of Spider-Man since they are tech-based. If you enhance, enhance, enhance on darkness, magical darkness, who's to say that you can see? And if you can take away Spider-Man's vision, he's going to be in a lot of trouble in this matchup. So one character's magical, the other is rooted in non-magic. Magic wins out at the end, and that's my point number two. This is, this is interesting. So I do have some questions. The spells that he wants to cast, the certain magical objects, don't they have a limitation that they can only be used once within a 24-hour period? Normally, when you're first starting to learn magic or you're a younger magic user, you can only use these spells once per day. That is absolutely correct. However, as you gain in levels, per se, and he has, you gain the ability to use these uh, spells much more often over the course of a day. And it's been shown in the novels that he does have the ability to cast these more than once a day. Got it. So is it like twice a day? Is it unlimited? It's not unlimited, but it's like a handful of times per day as he needs to. But how many times do you need to create a globe of darkness around Spider-Man? Probably just the one. Well, just the one to see that it won't work whatsoever. And then Drizzt is so smart. He'd be like, time to move on. Okay. So he, he said you've got, he's got a, he wears a belt that gives him the strength of an ogre. That's what, it, that's what the novel says. So would you say an ogre is twice as strong as Drizzt? Three times as strong. You know, all I can see are the feats that he's done. Like, for example, he once axe kicked like a giant oaken uh, picnic table, and he cleaved the whole thing in half with an axe kick. I don't know exactly how I mean, uh, calculatably strong that is, but that's ridiculous. I mean, first of all, who hasn't done that? Am I right, Riley? I mean, that's not really that impressive. Let's see. So, okay, ogre like strength. James like James Gavsey likes strength. I get it. It's all a good thing. Okay, this is good. So he's got a lot of kind of cool equipment. Uh, spells that he can cast, and he's got, you know, he, he's fight, a fighting expert. This is awesome. I love this character more and more. So let me get to my point number two, and I'm going to kind of take a little bit of a tangent. There's a lot more to Spider-Man 29 that we need to know about in order to get a clear picture for this fight. So Miguel O'Hara, right at the beginning, he's a super genius, as in a Tony Stark-level genius, as well as a Tony Stark-level tactician, where he can see something, come up with a strategy right away, figure out what someone's weaknesses, strengths are, and come up with a win. He's done this a number of times against much more powerful opponents, Never mind someone who may be equal or even lesser powerful than him. So you got to keep in mind, he also created the technology, Miguel O'Hara or Spider-Man 29, that rewrote his genetic codes that it was 50% spider DNA. That is insanely impressive. Again, he's one of the most intelligent people on the planet for his timeline. Uh, also a gift to Genesis, and he also has a genius level EQ. More on that later, okay? So he's an expert hand-to-hand -hand combatant. Let me explain that. He created a freestyle form of fighting that allows him to make full use of his strength, his speed, his agility, and all of his powers. To translate, he created his own martial art. Why is that crazy? Because before he got powers, like Ray said, and before he became a superhero, he had normal, no formal fight training. But everything got enhanced dramatically. Not just his physicality, but also his mental acuity. His, his IQ even went up as well. And he was able to create his own fighting style based off his own movements and everything. Things done. This fighting style has helped him take out people as powerful as the Hulk, 
and even people who are slightly more powerful than that enabled enable them to like hold on hold his own against people in the Marvel universe who some of them are known to be fighting masters and what have you. There's no shortage of great fighters within the MCU or Marvel universe as we all know. He also has superhuman marksmanship. So he's beyond an expert sharpshooter and with his webs or any type of object that he can throw as an improvised weapon, never mind some shooters he's got of his own, anything that's around him, anything he can shoot, with his powers, his ability to see better, he can be an expert marksperson and just shoot anything at any time, anywhere, while flying midair or whatever, he's not a problem. He's gonna hit that target. Now, let's talk about Spider-Man. 29 suit because there's a lot of cool features and capabilities it has glider type of wings kind of web-like wings attached to the armpits that allow him obviously to glide through the air at high speeds and altitudes he's got rockets in his boots that enable him to take off and fly faster and higher and then when he uses it with his web gliders he's super fast his suit is made of what is called umf not related to the IMF or intoxicating mind fog I sometimes use on the show. So the UMF, let me try to explain this. There, It stands for unstable molecular fabric. That was something the Fantastic Four came up with. And he used that and combined that with Kevlar in the future to create this insanely powerful suit that is super hard to it's bulletproof it's super hard to uh shoot a shotgun can get through it powerful energy blast won't get through it and it's calculated that nothing short of a howitzer that means something that's a striking power of over 100 tons we able to get through the suit and really damage miguel o'hara that badly that's why he could take punches from the thing and still be okay by the way on top of being bulletproof it's also super resistant against sharp objects and blades even those magical in nature in fact in his latest suit spider-man 299 has anti-gravity material to the back of his costume that enables him to fly. That's right, this version of Spider-Man can actually fly. Now, Miguel's suit also has these optical sensors to enhance Miguel's already enhanced vision. He's got onboard sensors for complete vicinity reading, so he can see what, he doesn't have to see what's going on, he can, his, his machinery will do it for him, his tech will, and he can fire explosive what are called spider saucers or spider discs from the wrist for long-range attacks, and those are high, highly dangerous, very powerful explosives. And possibly, the most important thing from a suit is that, remember, this is the future, he has an AI built in, and this AI is known as Lila, which stands for Lyrate Lifeform Approximation. And Lila has the 2099 version of Google in her da database with all of that extensive knowledge. She's got knowledge of magical opponents, supernatural knowledge, all of that, because that's all within that database within the Marvel timeline. Uh, on top of that, she's also able to read life signs of her opponents, of Miguel. She sees points of weakness. She sees through illusions, uh, directs Miguel, not just in how, not just where, but in when she, he should attack in certain areas in specific ways. Lila can also shock Miguel back into consciousness or wake up parts of his body or even nervous system, give him like a quick surge of like power, like a like an adrenaline shot. So she can do that to him on the fly, even during a fight. And if he gets knocked out, he gets knocked back in by her right away. On top of that, Lila can shut off the outside world or parts of it too. And so if he's getting overloaded with his sight, uh, for example, she can just shut off his visor and, all, and just say, hey, I'm going to feed you information directly about what you need to know around your immediate um, area. So being blind, it's not going to be a problem for him. She can also create holograms. She can cast a hologram on Miguel that makes it appear he's hurt, bleeding, or even dead. So he can play pause in order to sneak attack, do a sneak attack or hit someone from behind. This looks like a lot of trouble for Drist. That's my point number two. It's interesting to me because just last episode, James, you were against the idea of a robot AI helping somebody. You called that outside interference. This character seems like a full-on AI different character uh, integrated into the suit. So why, is, why was Skeets with Booster Gold outside interference, but this isn't? Well, that's a great question. Our esteemed judge for last episode, Robert Clark Chan, who's a genius, by the way, said that he believed Skeets would be part of the whole equation. And Skeets was, you know, for a long time, a floating robotic drone that kind of stayed around this person. Lila 
is you could call it outside, but it's much more like skeets. And Lila exists within the suit itself. It's not an outside Interesting. piece. So it's so just based, based off on, your, It's just based on who you're representing that day. I'm glad to see the integrity <laughs> of James. When you say he taught himself martial arts, you know what we say to people who taught themselves how to be pro wrestlers? Those people are untrained. You don't teach yourself to use martial arts just in the same way. He's an untrained fighter. You just proved my point. Now, you talk about his Kevlar vest. It's very resistant to explosions and big projectiles. Why? Because it spreads out the damage around it. What is Kevlar really weak to? Stabbing. Stabbing goes into the fibers and through the fibers of a Kevlar vest. Everybody knows that. Guess what kind of weapons that Drist is going to be bringing to the table? Sharp bladed ones to his face. Now, another question I have is uh, his use of illusions, his use of holograms. Driss does have dispel magic, dispel illusion type of magic around him. So my question would be, would that work against the illusions of Spider-Man 2099? And I would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, the answer is yes. Well, here's the thing. Is a hologram an illusion? Are they the same thing? Yes. I would argue no, but we'll let our judge do that. Kevlar is not the only piece. Remember, it's the UMF, like the IMF. The UMF is unstable. Yeah, I know. He likes he likes TV stations from the '80s that appeared after 34 on the dial. You don't need to keep banging it into our heads, Riley. You've heard two points from me. You've heard two points from me. We're now at the turning point. This is where you need to say to us who you think is ahead of the in the battle, and what does the other opponent need to do to come out ahead. Well, a couple of questions that I have while we're on this. I wanted to ask, if Lila does not have access to the internet, is Lila still able to look up all this information about various combatants that she's up against? I would say yes, because in the storyline, Lila is able to pull information from different timelines. So if she's in a different timeline, she's somehow, or in the past, she's able to still pull on information from different timelines, which don't necessarily line up with the timeline she's in. So all the information she has, she's got access to. Now, another question is, uh, are Drizzt's weapons magical in nature, Ray? Are they magic yes, swords? Yes, they are. Okay. Absolutely, they are magical scimitars. Okay, in that case, I am giving the edge right now to Driz, only because I, I don't agree that science illusions are things that can be dispelled as magical. However, I do think that Driz's heightened senses would allow him to be able to tell, because in D&D, when a character is casting an illusion, there's often language around that illusion that explains how that illusion can be seen through by somebody who's making a high enough perception check or such a thing. I do feel like if a hologram is being displayed, I think Driz would probably be able to tell that there was not something physically there. Mm. Uh, But on the same token, I think that Spider-Man would also probably be able to not be as susceptible to... Driz's illusions because his senses would read that there's not a physical form there. So I think once again, we have two powers that tend to cancel each other out and are about as effective to each other as they would be. What I am thinking though, is that Spider-Man's UMF and Kevlar would be very effective against a typical mundane sword in the forgotten realms. However, I do believe that I'm giving the edge to Driz right now based on the fact that his weapons are magical in nature, which tend to be the kind of weapons that can overcome resistance Mm. to physical attacks. But I also want to go back to a a point that Ray made earlier that I'm disagreeing with. This is back in the first point, is that Ray pointed out that 
that Driz is trained, whereas Miguel was a scientist who happened to get powers. Mm. I do believe that there are many, many beings in the Forgotten Realms who happen to get powers that still are a, a vital threat. So I think that particular thing cancels her out as well. Okay, I want one last question, and then I'll let you go into your third points. I know that modern-day Spider-Man gets beat up quite a bit. Is Miguel a little bit more sturdy? And I'm not talking about his costume. I'm talking about his not suit. Miguel's own power set. Is he a little bit more durable than a Peter Parker Spider-Man? The thought is that if Spider-Man's a 10 out of 10, that Miguel is like maybe an 11 or 12 in certain areas. Right, so it's maybe slightly stronger, slightly faster. Remember, it's 2099 that was created back in 1992. So back in the day of 1992, everyone thought the future was always better in mm -hmm. every category, at least slightly better. And when Miguel came about, remember, he wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider. He rewrote his DNA. So he actually is 50% spider right now. Okay, interesting. Good to know. Thank yeah. you. I, I think I'm ready to let you move on to your third point. All right, Ray, let's do it. Hit me with your point number three. Point number three for Drist. How did we get here? What we're going to talk about is how he's going to win. And because one thing that, you know, James has talked about having an AI in your suit is, is a very viable strategy for this battle to have additional heads. So I see no problem with Drist using his summoning powers because he has a statuette that allows him to summon a magical panther named Guinevere. And that's a 600-pound panther that is an independent thinker and doesn't. it's not like a feral beast. It can work in concert with Drist. They've been fighting together for a very, very long time. And I've always thought summoning abilities are interesting because if that's a thing that you're known for doing, you should be allowed to do it in a who-would-win battle. But not only the huge panther that he's used to fighting in step with, meaning it's a much more difficult battle at that point, but he's got a feather in his hat. He pulls out that feather magically, throws it on the ground and it becomes a giant bird like a chocobo from Final Fantasy that will attack on his command as well. So when you have summoning abilities, it's not rough enough that he's going to have two magical seminars, scimitars moving faster than the eye can see in a dance-like battle abilities, but he's going to have creatures fighting alongside him as well. That's going to be too much for Spider-Man 2099, honestly, and it's going to overwhelm him after a while. But I also want to talk about some of the varied characters and creatures that Drist has fought over his time. And this is just a small uh, subset of creatures because there have been 34 novels, for gosh sakes. Spider-Man tends to fight what? He tends to fight, uh, you know, besides Venom, people. He tends to fight other humans who have enhanced powers. That generally kind of comes in the same flavors over and over again, where Drist has fought other Dark Elves, he's fought Weir Rats, he's fought Yetis, who are gigantic snow creatures, he's fought Mages, who are bringing high-level magic to the table, Trolls as well, who have a strong regeneration ability, and so he's used to fighting people with regenerative powers, no big deal. He's fought elementals, specifically earth elementals, but I believe he's fought all the other hosts as well, and they bring their own challenges, you know. But when I think of an earth elemental, I think like the thing, for example. So very, very similar, but most importantly, he beat the spirit wraith of his father a family member who came and attacked him kind of as a ghostly ethereal creature, and he was able to defeat something he couldn't stab. And so the end of the day, he's had to learn through his travels how to defeat an entire host of everything in the dark that's trying to kill him. 
So what's Spider-Man 2099 bringing that he hasn't fought in one way or another before and gotten over on? You know, the big thing that I think he's going to do here is he's going to rely on stealth. If he can't beat Spider-Man head-to-head, and maybe he could because he's a better fighter with better equipment, but if he can't beat him head-to-head, I absolutely see him using the darkness spell, making himself make no sounds whatsoever, and sneaking up on Spider-Man 2099 to to do that kill shot he has to do, or incapacitate him in some other way. Like, he's there's been someone three feet away from him before in full view, and he didn't see Drist at all. He once pulled a Batman with Commissioner Gordon where he was talking with somebody. The guy blinked his eyes and Drist was gone. Combination of speed and stealth there. I believe at the end of the day, when these two characters are fighting, he's going to see the web shooters, which are not a power. They're technologically based. And I think he's going to use his stealth, come in from the shadows or sneak up from behind and what have you, and use his magical scimitars to cut to cut and damage those web shooters, preventing Spider-Man 2099 from being able to use his main offensive weapon anymore. That's going to throw Miguel off, and that's going to make him much, much weaker. And the last thing to talk about, Hunter Mode. If for some reason Drist really finds his back to the corner, he goes into this Hunter Mode, which means he essentially turns his morals off. He goes into a survive, kill, or be killed mentality, and he tends to eviscerate and destroy anything he perceives as a threat in that moment. So if Miguel starts getting over a little bit, I have to believe Drist is going to go into, because he's not going to want to kill Miguel unless Miguel pushes him to his limit, then all bets are off. So he's got an answer for the alignment test as well. This guy is OP. This guy is tough. This guy is too much for Spider-Man to bring down, and that's my point number three. Interesting. Okay, so a small correction here. The web shooters, as I mentioned earlier, they're organic. They're not uh, tech-based at all. He doesn't have web shooters that he made. It's actually wet, organic web. They're called spinnerets. They're in his forearms that come out at the top of his wrist. Just, again, like Tobey Maguire in the very first Spider-Man movie. Well, looks like we're going to have to cut his hands off then. Sorry. That's it. You know, hey, sorry, kids. This 600-pound uh, panther, I love that. I Does this panther have powers, or is it just a sentient being that can fight really well with Drist? It's tough. I want he, he is a magical creature, but it's not like he's out there casting spells of his own, at least that I saw when I was going through the novels and what have you. He does, though, represent a painting on the side of a van from the 1970s. <laughs> and I got to say, that's B.A. right there. That's pretty that that that's a lot of points right there. Now, is the same thing uh, can the same thing be said about the giant bird? That. The giant bird I see much more so as a flying distraction, which in a battle like this you could see as a benefit. Look, here's the deal. I actually do think summoning should be included in this. That is a legit thing, and summoning, because of its magical nature, can occur wherever you happen to be. I really do believe summoning is part of this character's being, right? So Driss is absolutely going to summon whatever Driss needs to summon. Okay, so I'm just giving you that point. I absolutely, we're aligned on that point right. So let me get to my point number three, and let's talk about some big feats and big wins. Let's go over the big wins first. So, you know, I already mentioned this. In the year 2099, supervillains were written to be a little bit more advanced, shall we say. Uh, and by advanced, I mean somewhat more powerful and somewhat more dangerous. At least that's what they attempted to do. Remember, this is the magical time of 1992, where every superhero in Marvel seemingly had big shoulder pads and something going on with at least one eye at the time. It was kind of weird. Uh, Spider-Man 29 sometimes 
sometimes has to take on threats and opponents that are greater than those that the average Spider-Man has to take on. And he's been able to do more than just hold his own with these people. He's actually been able to hang with them or beat them and do that also with present-day uh, villains as well. So let's see what he's done. He's fought and beaten this character named Dargo Kator, a version of Thor, and he also beat his world's version of Venom named Kron Stone. This was Venom and a version of Thor from him, his timeline. He beat both of them. Speaking of Thor, he beat a character named, you'll never guess this, this is kind of crazy. They came up with a crazy naming convention. Thor 2099. Oh, crazy. Wow. I know, right? It's, who would have thought? He beat Thor 29 after Dargo Kator, of course. And this Thor 29, of course, had the exact same powers and abilities as d d Thor. I don't need to go on more of that. He beat the Punisher of his time, who was just like the Punisher of the present day, only this Punisher was equipped with way better tech, loaded with knowledge and tactics from present-day Punisher. You see where I'm going? He beat a character named Chenobog, who is the Slavic god of misfortune and chaos. I'm not sure if Chenobog was supposed to be the 2099 version of Loki, but at the very least, it was a very powerful god. Uh, he also beat the Superior Spider-Man, which is a present-day villain, that, or, or character, I should say. That was when the mind of Dr. Octopus inhabited the body of Spider-Man, and that was considered to be one of the most dangerous versions of Spider-Man ever, kind of like chaotic good in a really weird way. He fought a being called Thanatos, an insanely powerful supervillain who could time travel, warp reality, had Superman-level strength and durability, and if that wasn't enough, also possessed the famed Spear of Destiny, which gave the person holding the, the spear the power to bend the destiny of the world to their will. Somehow, Spider-Man 29 beat that person. That's pretty impressive. So he has a weapon at his disposal. It's a small little mo weapon known in Marvel as Mjolnir. That's right. He has Thor's hammer at his disposal. In one storyline, Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara revives Steve Rogers, right? Because he has in his possession the Thor's hammer, long story, he's got it. And he's not using it to be Thor, but he's actually worthy enough to lift it. Remember, you gotta be worthy to lift the hammer and possess the, the power of Thor. So he didn't want to possess the power because he wanted to give that to Steve Rogers for what was happening at the time. So during the storyline, Captain America you know, was able to lift Thor's hammer, it's already been established, he could do it before, and somehow gets jettisoned into space, something bad's happening, and he said, you know what? Someone else needs to take this, I'm being defeated right now, and he throws it, and he throws it at Miguel O'Hara, who catches it and says, you know what? I need the power of Thor and becomes the Thor-like power of like Spider-Man 29 meets Thor. So what does he do with it? Well, he saves the day and does this little small little thing where he actually, let's see, he uses him to usher in, like Marvel calls this, he ushered in an era of peace for a thousand years until the year 3099, which means he took out every villain, every threat to humanity, and then kept the peace for 1,000 years. So put that in perspective, Thor, our present-day Thor, as impressive as he is, couldn't do that. And yet somehow, somehow, Miguel O'Hara could. Why? He's a genius IQ, genius EQ, and he's willing to get the job done and do what it takes to create the peace. It almost sounds like he's like a Doctor Doom type, but he did what he had to do, and he ushered in an era of a thousand years of peace and prosperity for humanity because he had Mjolnir, the Th Thor's hammer that he can call at any time he wants, and that is an established piece of Marvel continuity. Look, we had a battle before where Ryu and Street Fighter became this insanely powerful being for our previous Who Would Win fight when he took on Elektra, right, from Marvel Universe. And the Spider-Man 29 version with Thor's hammer, again, is a very much established part of Marvel's continuity. So it is definitely a thing. So just like Thor can call or summon his hammer to him from anywhere, so can Spider-Man 29 get an instant upgrade. He is good to go. I'll put Thor's hammer up against anything Drizzt can do because Spider-Man 29 also has the rest of what he can do. Put all of that together with Thor's hammer.
and everything he can do magically. That's why Spider-Man 29 beats Drizzt. That's my point number three. Well, you're leaving a heck of a lot out of that story, James. I, I, I didn't think you would actually make this try. You must think you're further behind than I think you are at this moment. Look, yes, he did. That character did have Mjolnir for one quick storyline, one beat. I wouldn't say it's common to the character, but the things to keep in mind when he got Mjolnir, it didn't change his appearance. It didn't change his abilities. He just carried the hammer and it made him feel good inside. Like I'm worthy. I need to bring humanity forward. It didn't give him magical powers. And at the end of the storyline, he gave the hammer back to Steve Rogers and said, this is actually your it's not even mine so the idea of including it in this who would win battle is quite frankly absurd absurd james shame on you they're calling you shady james on the streets for a reason and the reason is that right there now let me just lay out really quick how this battle's actually going to go one of these characters has great tech no doubt he's from the future but the other one has magic and i would argue that the magic enhances him much more so than the tech does and one thing we commonly see happening on this show tech has an upper limit but magic doesn't magic can take you far and above away wherever you need to be considering the fact this is a three-on-one battle or more potentially considering the fact that drist is a better fighter with better weapons it's easy to see at the end of the day how either using stealth using a flurry of arrows from a distance or just getting up in close and going stabby stab drist has got this one on lockdown mjolnir james laughable all right, Riley, you've heard three points from Ray. You've heard three points from me, Mjolnir. Now it's time for you to take us through a journey. Take us through your process. Tell us, the only way you can, who wins this battle between Driss Dorden and Spider-Man 2099. Okay, so this Mjolnir thing has really thrown me for a loop. So let me ask you this question. I, I'm tending to side with Ray on this, but I want to I give it a fair day in the sun. You said he can call upon Mjolnir whenever he wants to. Ray says he gave Mjolnir back to Steve Rogers. Does Spider-Man Miguel O'Hara continue to occasionally wield Mjolnir after that? So no, the, que the, the question was, you said he can use it whenever he wants to. It doesn't sound like he can use it whenever he wants to. It sounds like he used it for one plot line. Now, did the comics skip ahead a thousand years into the future and that's where the rest of the stories take place? Or what happens? So that's from then on, it's Spider-Man 3099. Correct. Correct. So it's they kind of say, "Hey, here's what happened. He he for a thousand years he was in possession of the hammer. Here's what he did to bring prosperity to the earth. And then you know Steve Rogers was somehow brought back or came back into the story. And he's like, you know what? I've kind of done what I had to do. Take it. So from then on, all comics in that era are set in 3099 instead of 2099. In that storyline, yes. But it all got retconned several times as well, and some of these don't even have this him having this thousand years of what have you. So yeah, is this is this what a what will. if style storyline, or is this a this is an alternate timeline, or is this the main continuity of the story? My understanding is this is the main continuity of the story. You got to remember that uh, Spider Man twenty nine nine gets pulled back in time at different times. Right in different parts of the con the canonical universe of the Marvel six one six universe. So according to his story, if you look at what happens with his story for a thousand years, he's got possession of Mjolnir. Okay, I I think that I think I'm gonna not allow Mjolnir in this in this debate, and the reason why is that you're, you are talking about one storyline. It does not sound like 
in any instance moving forward in the story in the comics, he can have Mjolnir. It sounds like that was that one plot, that one storyline, that was a special thing. I I think in, in a similar way, if you were debating on behalf of the MCU specific Steve Rogers, I would not allow you to use Mjolnir in that because even though he does use it and he is worthy of it, I don't think that I would say that is his weapon to use. I think it is definitely Thor's weapon. I think that in the case you are saying it, it was Steve Rogers' weapon at that time. He and if Spider-Man by his own accord said he was giving it back to Steve Rogers, then I'm I'm going to take that out of contention because like having said that, this is a much closer battle than I thought it was going to be the entire time. And I do get the idea that the, the fact... One thing that I also think is, is a weakness in your argument, James, is that when you mentioned that Spider-Man defeated Thanatos, you said somehow. You didn't know how he defeated Thanatos. Now, this is a very somehow Palpatine returned kind of moment where it's pretty important information to give to the audience and to the judge because there are lots of ways you can defeat somebody that might not necessarily be useful now that we're in a head-to-head battle between Driz and Spider-Man. So I, I believe that Spider-Man can, can defeat these magical beings. I also believe Driz also fights gods with his magic swords as well. So I, I feel like we keep getting back to these two characters are pretty evenly matched. I do feel like Spider-Man, typically in his run, struggles the most when he comes up against somebody who has his similar power set. And that's why you mentioned earlier that even Miguel O'Hara struggled against his version of Venom when he first met him. Now, once he'd fought him, once he'd already gotten gotten knocked around by him, he was able to adapt and come back to it. But as my understanding, the challenge here is do you think they'd be able to disable that person for two full minutes? That is, that's the... That's the correct, that's the goal here from what I would have picked up that on the That is correct. I do believe that the combination of the magical darkness with the boots of silence that would negate Miguel's ability to see and also hear the approach of Driz. I do believe that Driz would have the ability, and as, as Ray has pointed out, he could cut the hands off of Miguel if he wanted to, which would negate not only the webs, but also his ability if we wanted to put Mjolnir back on the table. That's fair. He wouldn't be able to reach out to grab <laughs> Mjolnir if he ain't got no hands. I guess you can Mjolnir with your teeth, but then we're getting into neck territory. So yeah, that's true. that is why I, I think that it would be a very close battle. I think, I think you have made the case that it would be way closer than I thought it would be. But I think that last round, I think Ray pointing out the combination of the darkness with the silent boots and then adding in the ability to distract. I feel like I, I don't feel like the, the, the Panther is going to be an actual like physical threat to Spider-Man. But I think the Panther and the bird together would be able to create enough threat distractions that might disrupt his ability to attack what's around him. So those those factors into it. I feel like Driz is really well equipped. And it's not even really because of the magic. It's partly because of the magic. But I, I think that Driz just happens to have a skill set and a combination of abilities that would negate what are some of Spider-Man's strongest uh, abilities and techniques. So I think it will be very close. But I do think that Driz will come out on top at the end. There we go. Uh, there it is, everybody. You know, he, here's the a thing. perfect decision. Here's the thing. So I love your explanation. And whenever you have, and Ray, you said it before, magic versus tech, the way you got to play this, you got to bring in some type of magical element. The way he beat Thanatos was a little bit through trickery, which is not going to work on a character like Drist. It's Fair just problem. not. It's just not. But 
I had to show like, okay, he does have experience with magical characters and world breaking characters mm -hmm. and what have you. And that Mjolnir, yeah, was that a Hail Mary? Absolutely. But you mm -hmm. needed something like that just to even compete with the insanely varied array of magical abilities that Drizzt mm -hmm. brings to the table. Never mind combat proficiency and everything else. Great character, great decision. I have no issues with it whatsoever. Ray, how do you feel about today's matchup? Obviously, this is one of the greatest decisions, <laughs> one of the most straightforward, obvious slam dunks. You heard Riley say it. Drist would win this battle 90 times out of 90. There's no chance, Riley just said, that Spider-Man 2099 could ever hang with Drist to Erden because, as, as Riley just said, Ray's arguments are too strong. <laughs> James should quit the show, and perhaps Ray should be the all-time champion debating himself at this point. Riley, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your words. They have touched me deeply. And this was, this was a tough call because I am both a Spider-Man nerd and also a D&D nerd. So this was, this, was a, this was two things that like I was... I was tough on, so. You know, take out the word nerd and put it in connoisseur and genius, and I would agree with that statement. Also, <laughs> after, after hearing Ray, 90 out of a 90, right? Really, not 100 out of 100 times. 90 out of 90. Do you regret getting We don't want to get crazy with it. Do you regret giving Ray the win at this moment? Well, again, I feel like the debate is the, the first out of the first times. So I, I don't I don't care what happens the the, 90, the, the second out of 98 times. If, if my question is who will win, because I, I do think that I do think Ray that if if Driz defeats Spider-Man the first 2099 the first time, I do think that Miguel might be able to come back with a little bit of a vengeance and be able to get the second. We're talking about like a like a like a King Kong versus Godzilla thing here, where Kong definitely gets the first round, but then Godzilla can come back and, and take it from there. I think there's a there's a thing happening there, but I think that if the question is who would win the first time these two could go, go toe to toe, I'm giving it to Driz. You know, I, I love that because he is a scientist. Uh, Spider-Man is so he knows. You know, he's a smart guy, a genius. And absolutely, I feel like much like a, an Iron Man or a Batman character, he'd come up with something the second time around, but we ain't talking about the second time Spider around. Spider-Man's a character. We've kind of talked about this before. There's certain characters that if they have, you know, prep time, if they have advanced knowledge, they're really hard to beat. If they Or if they lose the first time, they're coming back and they're not going to lose again. Or it's going to be really hard, right? Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099, Miles Morales, all these great Spider-Man type characters – they fall in that category. 100% do I agree with what you just said. I got to tell you, you are an amazing judge. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Loved having you on. Your whole process is fantastic, by the way. Loved your questions. You are absolutely awesome. Please tell our audience where they can find you and everything you do online. Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Riley J. Silverman or Instagram at Riley Silverman. I am actually just wrapping up uh, running as a DM a season of a D&D streaming show on Saving Throw Show, which you can find that entire show now on Saving Throw Show's YouTube. The show is called Dice Ex Machina. It is set in D&D's Greek-inspired realm called Theros, which is based – it's actually a Magic the Gathering realm that was brought into D&D with the oh, book wow. in 2020. But it's, it's a lot of fun that we did. We did two seasons of it. So the, the final season will air Wednesday. That's the finale of the season. So keep an eye out for those on, on YouTube. We did two seasons of it. Uh, it was very fun to do, but it, it, I'm excited to wrap up the campaign. So that's a big thing there. And then, yeah, you can also catch Ripley Improv. We did a, a improvised hospital drama. And it is, it's called Heartbeats. And I, I joined the, the, the cast as a guest star in the first season. I became a series regular in season two. And I played Dr. Ashley Love uh, at LA General Hospital. And uh, it's really fun. So we're wrapping up our second season now. Go to Ripley Improv on YouTube and you can check out episodes of that as well. 
Fantastic. All right, race to Canis. Congratulations. You got another good win. This was a hard matchup to prepare for. I had a lot of material to go through for Spider-Man 2099. I can't even imagine how much you had to go through to prep for Drizzt Dwarden, but you did a really... 34 novels, James. 34 novels. All best-selling. Best you did a great job. Fantastic. I'm happy your reading skills are, are improving steadily. That is awesome. Tell it's the Legion better. of Audience where they can find you. Well, first off, I want to read a five-star review because I won and I'm in a good mood. So, James, here's one that we got in five stars titled, In My Opinion, from anime slash fantasy slash Marvel Geek. I have to say that most of the battles that James have won, Ray should have won. I like where you're at. Like on the Michael Myers and the Predator episode, it was super clear how Michael should have won. But I do say this respectfully. I honestly think that Ray should have won most of Shocktober. Oh, you mean Shocktober. Hashtag Ray is always right. I'm glad to see the hashtag awkward allies, the hashtag woodworkers, the hashtag Rainiacs got my back in the five-star reviews. You can do it too. And I might read yours on the air when I'm feeling good. If you say something nice about me, in fact, that it's almost guaranteed. I will pill it out at some point and make that happen. You can find me on Twitter at Almighty Ray. Folks at home, you've been begging for this character to be on this show ever. for literal years at this point. I hope you got your money's worth. I hope to never have to read a novel. For show. <laughs> Listen, when you have Drizzt, of course I'm bringing out Mjolnir. That's all I'm going to say. I'll bring out more next time. All right. Look, I would have. I would have tried. Not? I don't Why blame not? you. All right. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gabs. You remember to join the official Hoodwin Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram at Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sikana, Zoit Media, and the rest of the amazing Hoodwin team, thank you once again for listening to another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Sup everyone, Brian here, host of the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. It's a trivia-style podcast focusing on TV and movies. Listen in for questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? What do you say to view the Marauder's map? What are Tony Stark's last words to Thanos in Avengers Endgame? And where does Ron Burgundy say he is when he calls the news station sobbing from a phone booth? I've covered The Office, Harry Potter, Marvel, Will Ferrell movies, Lord of the Rings, and more, with even more on the way. So play along to the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast anywhere you get podcasts, and stay tuned for more trivia! Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.